You're listening to the DolphinsTalk.com Podcast Network. Finn Sports Football Podcast. My name is Anthony. If this is your first time on the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you back. If it's not your first time, welcome back. And y'all, I've been gone for a long time. I have not made a podcast episode in, I don't know, six, seven months. And so before we even get into it, I I need to kind of explain where I've been. Um, About six or seven months ago, I was sitting there And I just made a podcast episode, I think, talking about the draft. And I got a little upset because my podcast wasn't really where I wanted it to be. And I felt like I was giving it my all. I I feel like I create great content. And it just wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I sat there thinking, well, what the hell's the point of making this? And, you know, it was the off season, wasn't really much going on. And so I just stopped making podcasts. If I'm being completely honest with you guys, I just stopped making it because I lost the love for it. I lost the desire. Um, And so I didn't make podcasts for a while. I didn't want to force anything. I didn't want to force myself to do anything I didn't want to do. And so for a long time, I just stopped making them. I didn't want to do it. And last night, I went to my first Dolphins game ever. I've been a fan since I was five years old. I'm 24. So it's been 19 years, almost 20 next year. And it reignited this passion in me. Not that I wasn't passionate about the team because I always have been, but it reignited this passion in me seeing all the fans there, seeing how there's other people like me who love this team and seeing it with my own eyes. I've never lived anywhere where I've seen more than like two Dolphin fans in my lifetime living at that place. Like I lived in New Jersey. That's where I was born. Texas and Arizona. And I've never seen more than, (laughs) I don't even know, two Dolphins fans, maybe three. I I lived in New Jersey for 11 years, uh, Texas for like three, and Arizona for five. And in my time in each place, I never saw more than like three Dolphins fans. So being able to go to the stadium and actually see thousands of them and be able to like walk in the mall and walk out in public and be able to see people and wear my jersey proudly and people to be like fins up or go dolphins it it was again it was just a remarkable it was an unbelievable experience that i'm really grateful for because again i've i've never experienced that so as far as the experience of actually going to the game it was absolutely sensational and i have to, i i have to mention this before i even start talking about the actual game I, I, everyone knows if you've listened to this podcast, if you're a regular, I do not like Steven Ross at all. <laughs> I mean, I cannot wait for him to sell the team because I'm just not a fan. I'm just, he's, he's not it for me. <laughs> uh, there's multiple things, multiple reasons. The number one being he changed the logo to a whale. However, that stadium last night, man, it was incredible that, I mean, Walking up from the tailgating section and seeing like the kids and their dads throwing the football and the husbands and wives and all the friends at the cookouts and walking up to the stadium and just seeing it in all its glory. 
my God, it was incredible. I've only been to one other stadium, football stadium in my life, and that's the AT&T Stadium, which is where the Cowboys play because I used to live about 20 minutes away from there, and my mom's a Cowboys fan. So we went to the Dolphins preseason game, I believe in 2016. It was where like Dak Prescott like came out and everyone was like, whoa, who's this guy? And I went to a Christmas Eve game where the Cowboys played the Seahawks. And everyone talks about how amazing AT&T Stadium is because it has this huge Jumbotron, which the Jumbotron is incredible. But Miami Stadium is way better, man. Like Miami Stadium was so nice. And like, I've never realized that because on, on TV, you see it from the top aerial view and you're like, oh, it's really nice. But like when you actually see it, and you sit in the stands and like the way the stands are too, like we didn't even have like phenomenal tickets. We were in row 18 of section 302. So we were close to the top and I could still like tell faces like when people were walking around on the field, I could tell who players were and they didn't even have jerseys on like the way the seating is like you can see everything no matter where you are. And we had phenomenal seats. We were on the Dolphins side, but we were on the end zone. Um, and like, man, the stadium is just so incredible guys. And like they honored the 1972 team. So everyone got like these little plaques when you walked into the stadium that, uh, it looked like it was a ticket, but it was like a plaque and it had like 72 as the section. Um, like it had, uh, I'm trying to think what, what else it had. It had like a bunch of stuff to commemorate the 1972 team. So it was like section 72. It had like row 17 or seat 17 because they won 17 games. And then it said like section 50 because it's been 50 years. It's the 50 year anniversary. So like everyone got one of those. And like the Steelers and Dolphins is such a classic matchup. And we beat them to get to the Super Bowl that year in 1972 to, to beat the um, what were then the Washington Redskins. Um, and so like, man, it was just an incredible experience. And like, even though I do not like Steven Ross, like that $550 million was well spent because that stadium is a spectacle. It is absolutely incredible. And I can understand why like teams, you know, have Super Bowls there, um, or teams, the NFL has Super Bowls there. I can understand why, you know, there's so many events there with like, uh, like, uh, I think, um, like there's sports racing there and soccer, national soccer. Like I completely get it because it is an absolute incredible an absolutely incredible stadium. So hats off to everyone involved in that. Now let's talk about the actual game experience. Um, it's kind of like bittersweet because I'll be able to tell you guys a lot of what I saw from the game that you can't really see from the film or, or, or like, you know, from watching on the broadcast view. And like there were so many things that were eye opening to me where I was like, oh, I never noticed that or I that makes a lot of sense now that I see it where like it sucks because I can tell you about it now, but like I'll never be able to do this at least until next year. So like, you know, we can't get used to it. Um, but man, like just being at the game and seeing the, the plays live and seeing the players live, it was really eye opening to me. Uh, I learned a lot and we're going to talk about it in this episode. But like the actual game experience was incredible. Like, first of all, hats off to the 1972 Dolphins. Um, Kyle Brandt is an idiot because this week he went on and was like he had a problem with the fact that guys celebrate when teams lose a game 
because it helps their legacy live on. And it's like, bro, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. First of all, you're a Bills fan, so let's calm down. Second off, like, I, I the, they're human beings. And at the end of the day, a lot of them aren't going to the Hall of Fame. And so this is their legacy. And when you worked hard to achieve something that no one else in the NFL has ever achieved, and every year you can just celebrate one team losing so that your record lives on, like... These guys want their legacy to live on past their football days. Like eventually these guys are going to pass away. And what's going to live on from them, for most of us that don't know them, is the undefeated season. And so like I I thought that was so disrespectful for him to say that because, again, like these guys worked so hard to achieve that. And it's not like they're celebrating injuries or guys getting injured or hurt. Like they're losing one game, okay? Like, let's calm down. Like, when the Eagles lose this year their first game, which they will, what, we're supposed to not celebrate that? Because why? It's not like we're we're hoping that they suck this year and don't win any games. No, like, we're, we're just saying, like, their legacy lives on. And these guys, a lot of whom are never going to get into the Hall of Fame, like, this is their legacy. This is their football legacy, and they hope that it lives on. And getting mad at guys for celebrating a team losing it's like that's just such a bad mindset but nonetheless guys the Dolphins 1972 team there's a reason only one team's ever done it and the NFL has been around for over 100 years it's hard to do and so hats off to them and I'm happy that it's my team that can say we are the only team to ever go undefeated and win a Super Bowl so I had to say that too hats off to them now as far as the actual game um Man, when those guys came out of the tunnel, y'all, when when Tua came out of the tunnel, the stadium was actually like shaking and it was kind of scary. It felt like an earthquake, but at the same time, it was exhilarating when Tua ran out of that tunnel, y'all running out of the smoke and and seeing everyone in the stadium just erupt. the, The stadium was shaking. People were losing their minds. It was just an absolute like, oh my God, I, I can't even put words to it. You can watch videos of it happening, but being there is just, oh my goodness. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, and I do have to say this because I don't want to talk about this man at all anymore, but I have to mention this because people asked. Brian Flores was on the field, okay? But there was someone who on Twitter was like, Brian Flores isn't on the field. He was on the field the entire game. I saw him come out like 30 minutes before the game. Um, before the game, he met up with, I think, Blake Ferguson, Jason Sanders, and Mike Kosicki. And when he came on the field, I watched him come out from the tunnel. And for the next, like, five minutes, because he came out, and once he came out, obviously, he came out for, like, five minutes, and then it was, like, 30 minutes before the game. Team went back into the locker room, and then the whole team comes out. But when he came out, and... He came out like with the Steelers. Then the Dolphins came out and they did their pregame warm up stuff. I stared at him like 95% of the time because I wanted to see how many players actually went up and said hi to him. And only one person did, and that was Javon Holland. No one else in the team. There were a couple players that walked right past him. I don't know who it was um, because they were injured. It wasn't people who were playing, they were injured players. It, but there were a couple people that walked right by him and didn't say hi. And I watched all of those players, not one of them except Javon Holland, 
came up and said hi to him and he didn't go up and say hi to one person not I don't not Chris Greer not any anyone now obviously they're not going to because he sued the team right but none of the players did the only player that I saw go up to him during the pregame stuff like 20 minutes before the game was Javon Holland and and Javon Holland was with like three other guys and they were watching him go up to Brian Flores and they did not go up um and then before the game, I saw a video on Twitter afterwards that he went and saw like Jason Sanders, Mike Kosicki, and I think Blake Ferguson before the game, um, like in the state in, in, on the field, like two hours before the game. So I don't know, man, imply what you want or infer what you want. But I don't know, a previous coach going on and only one player during pregame warmups goes up and says hi to him. That's again, you can infer what you want about that or imply what you want or assume what you want. But let's get back to the game. So the game overall, I'm going to talk about the offense and then the defense um, and kind of break down what I saw. Um, But like this game, if if I'm being quite honest with you, the game was actually kind of boring. (laughs) The, The actual experience was unforgettable. But the actual game, like if I'm taking it objectively and I'm not just looking at it from being at the game, it was a really boring game. Um, at first in the first quarter, so my brother is a Steelers fan and he came to the game with me and for the first quarter of the game, he was miserable and he was like, bro, this is going to be a blowout. The Dolphins, I've never seen the Dolphins offense be able to carve up a team that easily. Um, the first three drives, it was literally, so if you've never been to a Dolphins game, every time the Dolphins get a first down, they go that's another Miami Dolphins, and everyone goes, first down. And then the announcer goes, Tua. I don't know why, but that's what he does. Um, And I kid you not, there were like four plays in a row on the second drive where it was like four first downs in a row. And I looked around and I said, what's a second down? I don't even know. Because it was like pass to Waddle, 12-yard run by Moster, 12-yard run by Moster, pass to Hill. And like we went down the field in like four plays and my brother Philip was so livid in the first quarter because the Dolphins went up 13-0 and what was even scarier was Mostert got rocked on one of the hits that should have been a first down if not a touchdown which was a clean hit by Minka Fitzpatrick and he dropped the ball and the other drive he hit Mike Kosicki right in the face mask and Mike Kosicki just didn't come down with it. The Dolphins should have been up in the first at the end of the first quarter 21 to 0 instead two of their drives led to field goals and it was only 13 0 but this game should have been over by like the end of the first um and we're going to talk about that little but like man the Dolphins offense was incredible and this is something I talked about this earlier there's a lot of the Dolphins offense I didn't realize because when you watch from the broadcast view and I've had this issue with football for ever since I can remember I'm not sure what the broadcast view is why why are we seeing the broadcast view in my opinion the the view that you see on tv should be a widened view kind of like on madden it should be a widened view of the offense and if you're on the defense i'm sorry for you that's just how it is it should always be right behind the offense and you should be able to see what's happening see the routes and all that stuff because there's so much you don't get to see on the broadcast view and What I realized watching the Dolphins last night was until the Steelers, what the Steelers did in the second half, and Steelers are great at making adjustments. They have phenomenal coaches. 
um, the adjustments that the Steelers made in the second half is they played a lot more zone um, and they played a lot more like blended coverages. So what I mean by that is they were playing some cover three or some cover two, but they'd have a couple of guys in man. And at first they weren't doing that. They were just playing soft zone coverage. And I kid you not, guys, on the first three to four drives of the game, there wasn't one play was where there wasn't a guy wide open. Now, whether or not Tua hit the guy or passed it to him is different. But every play that I saw, I was like, holy crap, there's, there are players wide open all over the field. Like, my brother was like, why aren't, why aren't we covering these people? And it's not the Steelers' fault. It's just like you're worrying about Tyreek, and then there's Waddle. You're worrying about Waddle and Tyreek, but then there's Gesicki. And it's like there's so much to worry about with this offense, and the creativity of it in the first quarter was phenomenal. Here's my problem, though, and, and this is my criticism of the game and something that I think will be improved on, but nonetheless, it's a criticism. I can be, we can be critical, but also be optimistic. The Dolphins offense, for some reason, in like the last three quarters, just lost all creativity. Um, it got to the point where like every time they ran the ball, it was one, two yards, maybe. And I was like, all of us around the section we were at, were like, bro, like just throw a screen. You might as well just throw a screen to Tyreek. It's like, what's the worst case scenario? You get a yard? You're getting a yard anyway right now. And even Steelers fans were saying that on their team because they were running the ball for like one, two yards a clip. Um, and the creativity of this offense just wasn't there in the second, third. Well, the second quarter, actually, it wasn't more so the creativity. It was two and not being sharp. But in the third and fourth quarter, like there was a series where the Dolphins were down in the end zone or in the red zone and it was like second and two and third and two and they ran two plays in a row with Chase Edmonds which I'm going to get to Chase Edmonds in a bit don't don't worry but they ran like two runs in a row and I'm like why are you not throwing it with Tua he's been fire all game and 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 on top of that I think they went for it instead of kicking a field goal and it was that whole series where I was like what are we doing here I'm not going to say like Mike McDaniel sucks because, again, watching his offense live, there's so many guys wide open. I love his offense so much. And I think a lot of the struggles we have is because our offensive line just isn't good enough to create a run game. Um, but like that was not a good series of play calling. And on top of it, you need to kick that field goal there because if the Dolphins kick that field goal, let's be honest, guys, like if my brother even said it because he didn't think we'd go for it. If we kick that field goal, the game's over. We still had like a quarter and a half to play, but no one in their right mind thought the Steelers are going to come back and score 10 more points and the Dolphins are going to score nothing. So right there, like, again, that's something Mike McDaniel's going to learn as a coach. You have to, like, play the game the way it needs to be played that week. And against the Steelers, don't be aggressive. Just get the points. Your defense is playing phenomenal. They've scored 10 points in three quarters. Just kick the field goal, get more points. And trust that your defense will be able to stop them, uh, you know, the rest of the game, which they did. They they shut them out the whole entire second half. Um, but like that was the only thing I didn't like as far as play calling was really like, again, it just got it wasn't creative enough, in my opinion, in the last couple quarters. And then as far as um, my other criticisms, because I want to get into the good stuff, uh, before, you know, I just want to get the negative out of the way. Um, Tua just didn't look sharp. I don't know what it was. It was weird because the first three drives, he looked unstoppable. Like we all were looking around each other like, holy crap, like 
Tua looked elite, like not even good. Tua looked elite in the first three drives. Um, and then after that, like he just started missing things that he normally doesn't miss. And even some of the passes that he did make, like they weren't accurate. There was a pass to Waddle where he threw it really, really high. Waddle had to jump up to grab it. And if he hits him in stride, Waddle probably takes off for another 20 yards and we're like first and goal. Instead, he threw it really high and Waddle had to jump and then he fell. And that, that was the end of the play right there once he fell to the ground. And there were a couple of plays like that. Um, the deep ball to Tyreek Hill, um, it wasn't even like Tua didn't have enough arm strength on it. Uh, he just looked like he didn't place it in the right area because he placed it inside. And if he were to have placed it one yard deeper and on the outside shoulder, that's a touchdown. Like watching it from the view I watched it in, he was coming towards us and I was like, oh my God, Tyreek is wide open. Like if he hits him right here, it's a touchdown. And he underthrew it a little and put it on the inside shoulder, which is where the cornerback had leverage. Um, and it was almost picked off. It should have been picked off. Uh, but it was stuff like that where I was like, what's happening? Because the first three drives, he looked unstoppable. Um, there was a play where he lowered his head two times. I'm like, bro, you got to slide. He slid on one of the runs. But like, I know, I know everyone's like gets juiced off of it. Like they're doing steroids when Tua takes like when he trucks defenders. But like, I'm a fan of Tua playing. Um, so like, yeah, don't do that, please. I, I know it gives us a little kick for about five seconds, but then afterwards we're all like, yeah, you should slide. Like putting, lowering your head down against Devin Bush just isn't a good idea. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just me, but two has got to learn how to slide um, because like he puts his body, he acts like he's like six, six. And I'm like, you're not, I'm not trying to knock you for your size, but you are six one. Okay. So like stop trying to like, I hate when quarterbacks do that in general, unless you're Josh Allen you shouldn't be lowering your body against defenders because they are bigger and stronger than you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they tackle for a living. You don't. So stop lowering your head against linebackers. Um, but yeah, like Tua just didn't look sharp after the first half, really. Even in the second half, like, or even in the second quarter, he looked sharp. It's just, um, or the offense looked creative. He was just missing here and there. But like, yeah, he just, it, it wasn't his best game. Um, but however, I think like, it's his first game back, and I don't think it's going to be an issue. Normally when Tua has bad games like this, which I know statistically it wasn't a bad game, but for the standards that I have for Tua where I think he can be elite, um, or when I say elite, like I could think in this offense he can be a lot better than he was last night. Um, I think he will be. I think next week against the Lions he'll bounce back and he'll be way better, and I think he knows that. But yeah, Tua just didn't look sharp. But again, I, I'm not stressed about it like – Tua looking sharp is the last thing I'm worried about on this offense. What I am worried about, though, is Liam Eikenberg and Chase Edmonds. I don't know why they're starting on my team. Um, get them off my favorite football team. Get them off. If you're watching on TV, get them off the TV. Because Liam Eikenberg, so <laughs> before the game starts, my brother and I are walking up to the stadium, and he was like, hey, I don't know much about your team. Like, Can you let me know like who are the good players, who are the bad? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? And I told him, I said, who plays on the left side of your line? So, like, if you're looking at the quarterback, who plays against the left guard? And he said, Cam Hayward. And I was like, we're doomed. And he was like, why? I was like, because that's where Liam Eikenberg plays. And he said, is he not good? I said, bro, the only difference between Liam Eikenberg, the only thing that could be worse is if he just didn't go on the field. He's so bad. And literally the first play of the game, it was a false start. 
And then he had another false start. And he was just getting destroyed all game. Like, I realized watching, because there were a lot of times where I was looking from behind so I could see, like, the whole offense. And there are so many times where Liam Eikenberg just, like, does not know how to block in the run game. Like, there was any time they ran to the left side, Liam Eikenberg, there's just no space to run. Like, most of the times they had success running, they were running to the right side. Um, Teron Armstead looked great. It is noticeably better when he plays versus when he doesn't. Brandon Shell, uh, I think he should just be our right tackle because when Austin Jackson comes back, for the love of God, get Liam Eikenberg off of the field. He is so bad. I know you traded up a third to get him. Take the L, take it on the chin, and bench him. Because, like, I find it hard to believe that we don't have one offensive lineman better than him. Like, either you have an offensive lineman better than him and you just aren't playing him, or you 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 have such bad depth that, like, there is no one better than him, which is even scarier, and I don't want to think that. Um, Liam Eikenberg sucks. He's so bad. Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds is looking like the worst signing of the offseason for the Dolphins. I mean, he couldn't catch a cold in Antarctica. I mean, like, bro, like, he he's so bad. Um, there were two plays where he dropped, one of them wasn't a first down, and he, but he dropped. It was like a third and six or something, and he dropped like a four-yard pass. It wouldn't have been a first down anyway. But there was another play where he dropped in. It would have been a first down. It would have extended the drive, but instead we had to punt it. Um, he's become a liability in the passing game. I had someone, I, I commented this on Twitter, and someone was like, well, he can pass block. Okay, well, he also drops touchdown passes and first downs. So, like, I don't care if he can pass block. Like, if you're out there and you're going to, like, against the Cincinnati Bengals, he dropped a touchdown pass. Um, and I'm not sure what the score was at the time, but I think it would have given us a significant lead or at least the lead. And he dropped it. And it's like week after week now, he can't catch anything. And in the run game, he's not like amazing. Mostert's way better in the run game. So my thing is, like, can we just activate Gaskin or Ahmed? Because I find it hard to, again, I find it hard to believe that they couldn't do better than him because he keeps dropping all of the balls. And it's starting to it's starting to really get on my nerves if I'm being quite honest. But overall from the offense, they just weren't clicking on all cylinders after the first quarter, but I think the first quarter was an indication of what they're capable of when they are firing on all cylinders. So next up we have the defense. Um the defense uh I don't really know. There's so like I don't know, man. I saw so many people on Twitter, and maybe it's just the people I'm following that, gotta, that I got to change. There are so many people, like, crapping on the Dolphins' defense. And, like, I, 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 what game are you watching? What, what are you watching? Like, the Dolphins literally, literally played third and fourth string cornerbacks and safeties and a practice squad safety in Verone McKinley. And held the Steelers, who are still a professional football team last time I checked, to 10 points. Like, what are you smoking? What are you watching? I watched that game last night, and my brother was livid because he's like, how are we not passing the ball better on these guys? Like, we're going to talk about no egg monogamy, Lil. We have to. We have to. Um, but, like, this Dolphins defense, man, they looked like... I'm sorry. Like, I don't care if it's the Steelers. We lost to the Jets. We gave up 40 points to the Jets. Like, even like I don't care if you have injuries. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. But, like, 
I don't care who the team is. Like, you gave up only 10 points, and your whole entire secondary, not named Javon and Xavian, were either fourth, third stringers, special teamers who never get defensive snaps, or practice squad players. And you still held them to under 10, or still held them to 10 points. Like, I have nothing negative to say about the defense. I don't, and I'm not. There's nothing, I'm not really going to talk about the defense much. Um, because again, what I loved is they weren't as aggressive. And I'm, I'm loving this with the Dolphins defense right now. And I have to give it off to Josh Boyer because in the beginning of the season, um, I think he was trying to be way more aggressive and it was biting him in the ass. And I think what's happened lately is, and, and honestly, the injuries have been, if, I, if, if it's okay and appropriate to say this, the injuries have almost been a blessing because because of the injuries they've had, they can't play as aggressive. And I think they're starting to realize, hey, when we're not playing aggressive and we just trust our front four and maybe one other guy like a Landon or a Jerome helping, if we just send five guys and drop six in coverage, we're pretty damn good. And I think a big reason why right now teams are still having success is because your second best cornerback is Noah Igbenogany. Um, but like when Byron Jones comes back, which I'm, I'm hoping he does in the next three weeks, but when slash if he does, like this Dolphins team should continue to not play as aggressive. Like take your chances here and there. But guys, like with Javon Holland, again, watching Javon Holland, Xavier Howard in person, they threw the pass once to J- to Xavier Howard. And it was a crossing route. It was a shallow cross. It was like a drag route. And Xavier Howard caught up and eventually tackled Claypool for like a seven, eight yard gain. But he didn't even throw Xavier Howard's way. And I was watching and Xavier Howard is just so clamps. Like watching in person, it didn't matter if he was covering, covering Claypool, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, every wide receiver he covered was clamps. And that's why like I get so mad at Byron Jones because he waited till March to have surgery when he could have had it two months earlier and he could have been playing by now. And like when Byron Jones, even though he's not nearly Xavier Howard, if Byron Jones were here and you had Xavier Howard playing at the level he's playing at with Javon Holland, who, by the way, y'all, I know he had an interception. Javon does so much behind the scenes that you can't see from the broadcast view because it doesn't show the safety. He's flying all over the field, bro. He's everywhere. And the issue in the first half was that Javon was covering or he was leaning towards helping Xavier. I'm not sure why, but in the second half, I posted on Twitter. I said, hey, the thing you need to do is you need to start giving Noah help because last time I checked, Xavier Howard is better than Noah. So stop doubling whoever Xavier's covering. And in the second half, they started doing that. They started playing a lot more two shell, which is uh, two safeties, and they stopped singling whenever it was just a single high safety with Javon, he was catering towards Noah's side every single time. And it worked. Um, and so, yeah, like Javon and Xavier are just, they're, they're freaking phenomenal. And then on the defensive line, like, here's my issue. Yes, you would love to see more sacks and pressure, but Kenny Pickett was just dinky and dunking the whole game. And every Steelers fan around me, which Steelers fans travel really well, y'all, like, Dolphin natives need to do better. The stadium was easily 50-50 Steelers last night. No joke. Like, 
I, I would say there was just as many, if not maybe even more Steelers fans. Um, but the Steelers fans all around me were like, Kenny Pickett, throw the ball further than five yards down the field. And that's why the Dolphins weren't getting as much pressure because he wasn't back there long. Like he was just going back there. And once he was at the back of his drop, he was just dinking and dunking it to Najee and Pat Fryermuth. So yes, you would love to see them get more sacks, but like when your quarterback's throwing it in under two seconds, it's it's hard, right? Um, and so I thought the defensive line did well. Um, I thought they stopped the run relatively relatively well. Now the Steelers don't have a good offensive line, but still you got to show up and show out, and they did. Um, and man, Jalen Phillips popped for sure. But here's two guys that I don't think are given enough credit. Certainly not by me. I don't give them enough credit. But again, watching in person, you notice how they pop up. Like, first of all, how fast these players are and how strong and physical these players are is, oh my God, when you see it in person, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize how fast Xavier Howard was. And then I saw him chasing Chase Claypool across the field on the drag route. And I was like, holy crap, I've never even considered him fast. And he is like lightning quick, like chasing Claypool. And it's like the speed and the power that these professional athletes have nowadays is wild. But two players that we don't give enough credit to, Wilkins and Ingram. Like Christian Wilkins was a beast last night. Every time I watched, like Christian Wilkins was blowing up double teams. Now the only issue is, again, Kenny Pickett was getting the ball out so quickly and Christian Wilkins was getting doubled so often that it didn't result in as many sacks. But like Christian Wilkins is a menace in the past game. Like I noticed that right in the first series. I was like, whoa, I thought it was Raekwon Davis because of how much pressure he was applying. But I was like, oh no, that's Christian Wilkins. Like every play, he was in the backfield. Every single pass play. Um, and then Melvin Ingram, like Melvin Ingram is a dude, man. Like he was having tackle for losses, applying pressure almost batting balls like he is a phenomenal signing by the Dolphins um like he was just doing everything right uh and the way he pops off the ball even Jalen Phillips the way Jalen Phillips and him pop off the ball and the power that Melvin Ingram has it was impressive and I I've never noticed that watching on TV and I've never given them enough credit but yeah like Christian Wilkins anyone wondering if he should get an extension he should like I, I I watched last night and I was like, yeah, he's good enough to get an extension like he is. Um, but the one person we have to talk about, Noeg Benogany. Does last night change my opinion of Noeg Benogany? Absolutely not. Because for 59 minutes and 42 seconds, he was getting bullied. I kid you not, guys. I, ki <laughs> I kid you not. Every single pass that Kenny Pickett had he first looked right at Noah Igbenogany every single time. Noah Igbenogany was getting picked on so much last night, and mainly it's because, and I don't know if it's because he's not that confident in himself as a cornerback, but he does not play, like, aggressive at all. Like, he just lets his wide receivers have whatever they want for the first five yards, and that's something that the elite cornerbacks don't do is because they trust themselves to stay hip-to-hip -hip with these guys. I don't know if Noah does. And there was one play where Noah did try to stay hip to hip with George Pickens and he like wasn't even in the same vicinity. It was man coverage and George Pickens was like not even where Noah wasn't even where George Pickens was. I don't know if he didn't know where he was, but like he was like five yards away from George Pickens like he had lost him. Um, 
Noah was getting absolutely abused the whole entire game, the whole game, every single pass play. He was, the, his guy was wide open. However, again, I have to give credit where credit's due. Noah Igbenogany with the game ceiling interception was something that I don't think any Dolphins fan ever could have dreamt of. Um, first of all, what a catch. Like he catched, he did this like guitar jump, like a rock and roll guitarist. And then he lands both feet in. And when that happened, we all were screaming so loud and then they ruled it incomplete. And we were like, what? Come on, that's an interception. And then they showed the replay on the jumbotrons. And when everyone clearly saw that he got two feet in, it was the loudest the stadium had ever gotten all night. Like louder than when Tua came in, louder than anything. When Noah intercepted the ball, I think we all hated him so much that when he actually made a play, we didn't know how to react to it. And we were just going crazy, man. We were bonkers. And the stadium erupted. It was wild. Um, and like, again, Noah Igbenogany having the game ceiling interception, never thought that happened. Um, but nonetheless, it did. Does it change my opinion of him? Absolutely not. Uh, I, I made a, uh, uh, I kind of did like a troll type of thing or not a troll, but like joking post on Twitter. And I said, this is basically how I felt about Noah after getting the game interception, game ceiling interception, but then getting bullied for the past 59 minutes and 42 seconds. And it was a picture of a trash bag. And then it was the upgrade button. And then it was like the scented flex seal trash bag. Like Noah's still trash, but last night he ended up being like good trash. Like, hey man, you're still a trash bag, right? However, you're an upgraded trash bag. Like that's how Noah was. Like I have to, I can't knock him for getting the game interception, game ceiling interception, but he, it was not good last night, man. It was not good. And the Steelers learned that. The Steelers learned that. After like the first two drives, they just started picking on him. And then in the second half, Dolphins came out, played a lot more zone, and they gave Noah a lot more help. And that helped slow them down a lot. So, yeah, man, it was it was a crazy game. I absolutely loved it. Best experience as a Dolphins fan of my life. Um, just being able to go to the game. Was it a pretty win? Absolutely not. It was an ugly win. Last time I checked, though, a win is a win, right? And, you know, I hate the thing about, like, oh, injuries aren't an excuse. Like, injuries are an excuse. Like, the Jets are 5-2. and two. They've beaten three backup quarterbacks in a row. Like, the Jets are not good. They're not a 5-2 and two team. They're not as good as the Dolphins. However, injuries are an excuse. But the NFL still moves on. You can't petition a loss because you didn't have your starting quarterback. You can't petition a loss because your cornerbacks weren't there, right? The NFL still moves on. And even though it's a legitimate excuse, the, the, the league still moves on. They don't care if you don't have your starting quarterback or your wide receiver or your left tackle. They don't. And the Dolphins at the end of the day came out with Xavier Howard and a bunch of backups and then Javon Holland and like us, our practice squad strong safety in Varon McKinley. And we held the Steelers, who are still a professional football team, to 10 points. That's impressive to me. The offense, I trust they're going to fix it. Again, two is coming back. He's got to get the feel of the game again. Like these are professional athletes. When you're gone for three weeks, you, you're not going to just jump in and be great right away. Like it's going to take him like a week. Luckily, the next four games on our schedule are the Lions, the Bears, 
the Browns, and the Texans. The Dolphins should win at least three of those games, if not all four. And again, if you even if the Dolphins only win three of the next games, that's seven and four. But if we win all four, we'll be eight and three. That's phenomenal. Um, and so again, I trust that two is going to look sharper. I trust that this offense is going to get back in rhythm with him. Um, but nonetheless, guys, you won a game. You played on prime time. You won. Um, and again, that's all you can ask for. So, you know, we look ahead at the Lions game coming up. I'll talk about it on Friday for sure. Um, but we got a game coming up against the Lions where I do not take them lightly. We have to come out and we have to win these next four games. We can't go back to 500, especially with the Patriots, who are probably going to win tonight. And then the um, Jets, who, again, even though it's not legitimate, they're five and two. You can't you can't lose these games. So Dolphins have to go on a streak right now. They have to win. Tua has to step up and play better. Austin Jackson, hopefully coming back and replacing Lee Meikenberg, fingers crossed, will help. And then in the secondary, we got to get Byron back and we got to get more depth because that secondary position is getting injured out the wazoo. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully, as, as the days progress on, we'll start to learn more about how long guys are going to be out, who we can get in the trade deadline, things like that. So, you know, TBD on a lot of this. But nonetheless, guys, it was so incredible to go to Hard Rock Stadium. It was a phenomenal experience. Stadium's incredible. Fans were incredible. Experience and atmosphere was incredible. Dolphins got the win on Sunday night football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. We moved to four and three, you know, seven weeks into the schedule. Despite losing our starting quarterback for three games, we still have a winning record. And now we have four games coming up where we should be able to win all of them. So hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Glad to be back. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe. Fins up. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.